if somebody says to you, are you enlightened? If you, it's like, have you stopped beating your husband? Uh, if you say no, that's betraying something of the truth. If you say yes, that's also suggesting something a little dodgy. So I think the question itself is, is probably, uh, it's like the time when uh, the rich young man came up to Jesus in the crowd and said, Good Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Uh, and Jesus <coughs> turned it around and he said, Why do you call me good? Only God is good. So I think some questions you just have to you know, like this question about enlightenment, the unity of state, uh, like that. There was, a, there was a magazine, I don't know if it's still uh, being sold, but a few years ago called Enlightenment. And it was just uh, totally, uh, uh, well, strange. It, it, it was, it was, First of all, it was, it, every, every, everyone who published in this magazine was enlightened, and everyone who bought the magazine wanted to be enlightened. Now, would you have read the magazine if you were enlightened? Because you wouldn't need to read it if you were enlightened. And then the back of the magazine was filled with uh, retreats, books, tapes, websites, everything else at varying degrees of expense, uh, which would put you in the company of fully enlightened beings and, or give you the secret of enlightenment. So, you know, uh, I think we have to really smash through that uh, and every one of these religious traditions that Jesus in response to that question would smash through that kind of uh, crassness or spiritual materialism. It's a very Nice little book by Chogrum Trumpa, founder of um, Buddhist group in the States, uh, which is worth reading, cutting through spiritual materialism, trying to reduce the spiritual to the conceptual, the measurable. So, having said that, uh, I think the starting point is to say... The best answer is probably we are all enlightened. We all start with enlightenment. Uh, we grow, we mature, we learn through the different stages of life. And at each stage of life, the aperture increases so that more light comes in or more light comes out. Um, it becomes more conscious. And that is the meaning, I think, isn't it, of, of, of a good life, that you are growing and expanding, and that is health. You may get a few illnesses along the way, you may get, have a few uh, neuroses along the way, but that doesn't actually invalidate the fundamental health wholeness that you are uh, increasing or increasing your awareness of. So I think the, start, the best thing to say is that, you know, we are enlightened, and it's not that we have to become enlightened. 
or, end, or discover the secret to this unitive state. It's this technique, it's that technique, it's that religion or that religion, or having no religion, or, or going on this course. Or, so it's not a, there's no technique to achieve the unitive state. If you, uh, but it can, but it is realized. That means it is there in potentially, or it's there unrecognized. But our growth uh, consists in recognizing it, realizing it, and uh, seeing it. And I think that's that's what the. These texts we're looking at are all pointing to, and therefore, if we get it, we will approach meditation in the right way. That's the, that's the practical advantage of reading these texts. They don't have a secret that we have to get at in order to be enlightened or be un- have a unitive consciousness. In the same way, these beatitudes that we were looking at yesterday, these are not. Um, dogma that you've got to believe. Uh, they're not a message, even actually. And now we might say, what does the Tao saying? What are the Upanishads saying? What are the Gospels saying? But they're not giving a message as such. You can summarize them, but that's only a summary. What they're actually giving is not a, a doctrine or a message, but a way of seeing, a way of knowing, a way of living, all of which are related to each other. So that might sound like a cop-out to answer it that way, but if you put meditation as a practice into the equation, then that's exactly what happens you find that your way of seeing, your way of uh, acting, your way of knowing, uh, all subtly and quite naturally uh, evolve and and change. Isn't it coming back to this idea of of gift? And it was interesting, we, we read today's Gospel and that very much takes the, that same view. It's Jesus talking to Nicodemus, and he says, No one has gone up to heaven except the one who came down from heaven, the Son of Man who is in heaven. The Son of Man must be lifted up, as Moses lifted up the servant in the desert, so that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. That's, uh, again, the idea of gift. I'm very... Yes, okay, it is. And very, you know, for a Christian, I think that's, that has deep meaning and deep, deep resonance, but very easily turned into a message, very easily turned into a doctrine, an ideology. Yeah. And that's uh, without the meditative experience, all of these sayings, and you could become a fundamental Taoist, actually, you could become a fundamental Hindu, and there are fundamental Hindus, there are fundamental Buddhists, fundamental Christians. So without this contemplative experience to sort of put salt in it, uh, I think the danger is these, any of these words or stories or sayings easily become uh, 
uh, traps. See, the, um, I won't talk about the left and right hemispheres of the brain, but uh, there are uh, there are two ways in traditional philosophy of approaching the truth. One is called um, the cataphatic, which would be like your right hand. And the cataphatic approach is <coughs> to use words, images, ideas, rational expressions, argument, stories, pictures, and so on. So using all the linguistic and imaginative uh, gifts of the mind to try and criticize what we're doing when we read the, the text. And we, 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 we need that. Do we need it? Ultimately, well, ultimately, who knows? But we need it. We won't always need it because we won't always be able to read or have these discussions. But uh, they are wonderful resources, gifts for us to be enriched by, stimulated by, challenged by, and so on. But Traditionally, there is another approach, which is the apophatic. And the apophatic recognizes that you can't put any of this into words. You've got to maybe try, and sometimes the words, as in these great texts, are extraordinary. But they still don't substitute for the reality itself. They're just fingers, as it says in the Zen expression, the finger pointing at the moon is not the moon. So the apophatic approach is, is embedded, actually, in these texts. The Tao that can be named is not the Tao. I mean, that's, this is the first line of the Tao. It's the first thing we looked at this week. And it's the most important thing to keep remembering. Uh, somebody was telling me the other day about a meditation group that they had been going to, and... There's, they have very interesting conversations, discussions, philosophical, uh, spiritual discussions. And sometimes these discussions, after the meditation, start to get a little heated. Mm. You know? Because people have opinions, and then they like to express, we like to express our opinion. And then somebody else disagrees, and they like to disagree. And so, you know, ten minutes before, you've been sitting in this beautiful unity state, <laughs> and then ten minutes later, you're <laughs> you know, about to hit each other. Um, Ramana Maharshi, who I've mentioned a few times, says he, he just sort of sat in the middle of his ashram, or he'd go for a regular walk every day, then he'd come back and just sit there. And... Uh, he said, uh, he didn't get involved in organization and things, but he, he, he said once, he said, you know, people come to the ashram looking for enlightenment. Within a week, they get caught up in ashram politics. So, the, the, the left hand, if you like, the apophatic hand, uh, has 
has some, something uh, has an edge over the right hand because it it recognizes the the nature of mystery which we've seen and discussed in these texts and the way into mystery is paradox so what is it do you argue about a paradox if you're really uh, tasting the paradox, if you've really accepted the nature of a paradox, you don't argue about it, you taste it. And you help each other, as we've been doing as we read these texts. We bring out the flavor. Or we throw light on these aspects. You know. So, we need both, of course. We need the left and the right hand, uh, the apophatic and the cataphatic and the apophatic. But, at the end of the day, uh, it's the experience itself, the reality itself, the Tao itself, the truth itself, love itself. It's kind of, all of these words have been used to describe. And so, what is life? I mean, if you know, we're, we're a, a culture now that, that educationally. So in Western culture, has uh, in terms of education, in terms of all our professions, we really, we really um, don't acknowledge the validity of this whole dimension of knowledge and consciousness and tradition. Now we say it's okay; it's for your private, you know. Private is a private matter, religion is a private matter, separation between church and state, or whatever. Now, of course. Uh, but uh, there's something, uh, something missing, something inadequate in that, because we put so much emphasis upon naming and controlling identifying, defining, pinning down that we've lost the, um, the unnameable, which actually has a tremendous, a tremendous uh, effect upon any organization, upon any relationship. If you allow this experience to to unfold, to become conscious in any group, even in a small number of people, minority, it has a ripple effect, it has a contagious effect uh, in that whole group. And it changes the way they speak, they, re they relate, and they collaborate. <laughs>